Uh-oh, this thing's on. Hey everybody, this is Ty Eden, and this is The Tybo Show. Hey everybody, welcome back to our show. I want to thank all those listeners that keep coming back. <clears throat> this is episode number six. And in today's episode, I was able to sit down with an extremely interesting uh, person. He, um, originally from Michigan, as you'll hear in our chat, uh, lived in Southern California, which was kind of an ironic coincidence because um, I lived there oh, mid-60s to uh, early 80s. We lived in a little bit different part of town in L.A. It's a big metropolis like Chicago is, but it was fun kind of talking about um, common common stuff there. Uh, my guest's name is Jeff Ash, and he owns and operates the West Side Improv, and a very interesting approach that he has with improv. I always think of it being just stand-up comedy, but he's got a real business application to it. Um, it also appeals to, you know, government agencies, more the military. So I think you'll enjoy the show. All right, here we go. Okay. Okay. So I'm sitting here with Jeff Ash with the, is it called West Suburban Improv? Is that what the? West Side Improv. West Side Improv. Yep. Um, ironically, Jeff and I are originally, well, not originally, but we both spent a significant amount of time in Southern California. You're originally, though, right? No, actually, no. I was born in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. And then moved to Malibu mm -hmm. in 1965 when Malibu was actually a very pleasurable place to live. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't the overbuilding that's taken place since Pepperdine was put up out there. Mm -hmm. So uh, we got out. I got out in 1983 and moved to the Midwest. And my folks stayed for another six or seven years until things really changed. Commutes were such that my dad was like, I got to get out of here. And they moved to Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So now fam there's no family in California any longer. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was there for 12 years um, in Los Angeles, Pasadena, uh, so which is like a little hot uh, corner of Los Angeles. Um and, uh, we, you know, it's interesting. We were enjoying life out there so much that I don't think we ever would have left the area. Uh, and then we had children and raising children in California, the, the prospect of raising children in California, uh, sounded so horrific. We came back to the Midwest. I'm originally from Michigan. Okay. So, yeah. Which is, which is strange because at the time that I lived in Malibu, it was, I mean, it was an awesome place to grow up, um, very rural. And then when we, when I got into the high school, it was in Santa Monica and in Santa Monica was not as, I guess, large and overbuilt as it is today. I mean, there was something called rent control mm -hmm. in Santa Monica mm -hmm. in the early and mid seventies. Still is. It's <clears throat> still there. Is it really? It is. Uh, so ocean Boulevard that sits right above the, right. the pier there. Um, there, there are, uh, apartment buildings. A lot of those high rises are rent control apartment buildings. No kidding. Yes. But once you have a mortality 
you give it up. So what, what happened for a lot of years was it was passed along, right? Okay. So the, the lease would just be passed along to uh, a child and then they would live there and carry it. And, uh, all of a sudden all the apartment building owners and everything were like, wait a second, we're, we're getting killed out here. So I had a, um, coworker, uh, that I worked with at the time who had, uh, ocean view, like fifth floor apartment, beautiful, gorgeous place, uh, about 1400 square feet, which is huge. Oh, for sure. Out there. And, um, was paying $800 a month. I think that's what she was said. this close to Pico or, um, cause I think doesn't Pico end up ending right at the Santa Monica pier. If, is it, is it Pico? It might be Pico. Um, she would have been north of that. So toward, um, Santa toward Monica Malibu. Boulevard. Yeah. Okay. Toward, yeah. So, yeah, I think I'm familiar with the buildings you're talking about. Yep. They're on the buildings are on the west side of ocean Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or the east side. Oh, the east side. So you got to go across ocean. You, you cross ocean to get to the beach. Okay. Essentially. But you're up on the cliff. Right. So I don't know if you repel down to get to the beach. I don't really know what you do, but if you're living there for $800 a month, I think you can figure out a way to get there. I'd I'd Uber there every day. It wouldn't bother me. I'd have a limo (laughs) for $800 a month. I'd have a limo with the additional 3000 or four or 5,000 a month. It would normally cost. Right. Oh, by all means, by all means. Yeah. So, um, so then you were not doing what you're doing today when you were living in California. Correct. You were doing something else out there. Yeah. Originally, um, I moved to California by way of Houston, Texas, which I, I was in Houston for two years. Uh, I moved to California to pursue a career in corporate finance. Uh, so I worked in corporate treasury and I was actually a, a, um, a, a debt, uh, trader for in California. I worked for the Toyota corporation. And so I traded debt, um, for Toyota financial services. So, uh, essentially what that means is if you buy a car, if you buy a Toyota and it's a $30,000, $40,000 car, uh, and you finance through Toyota financial services, um, Toyota gives you the car with an agreement that you'll repay them with an interest rate. Right. But Toyota corporation still wants to be paid for that car. So what they do is they have a team that goes out and they issue debt to raise the money to pay for those auto loans. And that's what I did. So yeah, I did that for, it seemed like forever because you love the job so much. It was just wonderful. (laughs) There actually was a really great team and a really great company, but I worked 5am to 2pm every day. And when you're an aspiring a comedian and you're doing shows in, in Hollywood at, you know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock in the morning, 10, 11 at night. Uh, and then you get up at four to go to work. It Ooh, that's, that's yeah. a hard morning. Yeah. It's not very, it's not very conducive to health, but it wasn't, wasn't it through the Toyota position that you ultimately became aware of the comedic? I remember you telling me a story about, a wonderful meeting you had with one of your favorite bosses. It's my favorite boss. Uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we went, we went for coffee. Uh, one day we were walk, walk across campus or, or walk across the building to get coffee. And, um, we got on the conversation of comedy and he's like, yeah, you're really funny. You know, you, you make everyone laugh. You ought to, you ought to check out a comedy class. And so, 
uh, it just stuck in my brain the whole walk there and then the whole coffee back. So when I got to my desk, I sat down and I Googled um, comedy classes in, in Hollywood. And uh, must have come up with a ton of them. It did. It came up with a ton. It came up with a lot on stand-up, and I was a little bit nervous about the prospect of stand-up, but then Second City came up. And I was like, improv. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't really know what improv is. Uh, I'd done some acting and stuff like that in uh, college and high school, but I didn't, you know, we didn't talk about improv. So, uh, so I read up on improv and I thought, well, oh, that, that sounds kind of fun. Maybe I'll try that. So I signed up for the class right there. And I, I took the, uh, I went to the first class, um, and it was, it was a really fascinating experience. There were like 12 of us and the teacher had us get up and introduce ourselves. We had to say something about ourselves. And then we stood in this big, huge circle and we took a tennis ball and we bounced it back and forth to each other. And we did that for about 20 minutes. And then we talked about how we connect when we bounce a tennis ball. And then the next 20 minutes, we said a word that went with the, the bounce of the tennis ball. And then when you get the tennis ball, you receive the tennis ball. Your goal is to say the next word, uh, something that's inspired by the previous word. So then you would do that. And um, we did that for about 20 minutes. And that was kind of the first class. So I got home and I, I said to my wife, I, she's like, Oh, how was, you know, she's really excited. This is the start of my new life. Right. <laughs> she's like, how was class? Are you on a TV show yet? Um, yeah, honey, one class and great. I'm famous. <laughs> I'm uh, famous. <clears throat> I'm on the bouncing tennis ball TV show. And, uh, I said to her, yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't like it. it I, don't, I don't see what we, we didn't do anything. And, uh, I said, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to continue <clears throat> and edit that. And she said, um, well, the class was 350 bucks. So you'll continue. <laughs> so better continue. Better continue. So the next week I was there. And then what we started to do after that was, uh, um, we started to explore how we connect as human beings. And, uh, that was sort of where I discovered, well, how do you make someone laugh? You have to connect with them first, right? And I realized that my life, you know, my, my feedback from my boss, you're funny, uh, was the same feedback I get from family members and everything. Like we've all seen American Idol, right? So sure. my mom says I can sing and then they sing and you're like, yeah, that's your mom. That's not, that's not any of us. Anyone with ears knows your mom is crazy. And, um, so I had she's that. your mom. She's, she's your mom. Yeah. She's supposed to love you and she hears what she wants to hear. She's got to love you. Exactly. Um, so I had that fear kind of floating around in my head where I was like, everybody tells me I'm funny, but I'm not right. But I found that I, I kind of was. Um, and the reason why is I just naturally knew how to make connection and engage in a very human way. And, and so that was that whole first class, those eight weeks that I spent in that first class in second city was how do we engage as human beings, how do we connect as humans? That's how we're going to find comedy, but it's also how we're going to find those real, true, fun, authentic moments that people can have. And, um, the neat thing about it was it, it was, um, you know, it was three hours, uh, one day a week, but it was three hours where I couldn't look at my phone. I couldn't check email. Um, I wasn't required to, 
wash the dishes or do something that would distract me from being a human. Uh, and so that play, that human interaction, that play became kind of um, addictive and I wanted more. So I took the next class and the next class and then I was hooked. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Therapeutic. Very therapeutic. Yes. So you completely feel a detachment from probably the world other than those. How many of the eight people that started in the first class continued on? Yeah. Most, was there much of a cycle of people out and so forth? Um, well, it, I'm trying to think back and who was in that first class. The way that second city does it is a little bit interesting. They, you go through these, um, back in Hollywood, we call them improv for actors, right? So, Level one was called IFA one improv for actors one and level two, there were five levels and levels one and two, they probably offered eight to 10 classes at any given time. So there were a hundred students that were involved. Okay. And what would happen would, would be, you know, people would say my agent wants me to learn some improv. So I'm just going to check a box, right? I'm going to take this class, check the box, Put it on my resume and move on. Move on, yeah. And then the next level, you'd weed it down to probably 40 students. And then by level three or four, you were down to probably that core group of 25, 30 students that were going to go through all the rest of the program with you. And then there's this, um, at the time, it seemed so big and fear-inducing, this thing called the conservatory. Uh Uh-oh. So (laughs) you do this... IFA, you do all these classes that just anyone can sign up for, but you have to audition to get into the conservatory. Now that's nerve wracking. That's nerve wracking. <laughs> and, um, so you, you audition for that. And then if you get accepted, you, you spend three levels. Um, so you spend 24 weeks in conservatory and then you have to audition for levels four and five. Oh, wow. so, um, so it, you know, it weeds a little, a few more people out. Sure. Um, sure. But by probably the th- second or third class, I was pretty well, um, tied in and you really found that yeah. this is something that you wanted to keep going with. So let's fast forward. So you went through that training out there in California and then you had kids mm-hmm. and then decided you needed to go someplace else. California wasn't the right fit for the family anymore. Yep. Well, in, uh, so I had kids and kids will enhance any social or creative outlet you have. I mean, they'll just give you more time than you know what to do with and allow you to just freely go about your life. Right. So when I had children, I had to stop doing comedy for a period of time because I didn't have time to go. I didn't have time to do shows. Uh, it was hard enough to get up at four and, and go to work, but now I'm up periodically throughout the night with an infant and you know, so been there, done that. Yeah. I say that my wife was mostly responsible and I would act like I didn't hear the child crying, (laughs) but that's another story. So, um, I took some time off and then, uh, I started teaching and performing again and I actually got cast in, um, a couple of commercials and a few other things. Uh, and I was starting to do some on camera acting, which I was really enjoying. And then, uh, my wife came to me one day and she said, um, and we were already skeptical about having children in California. We, we were like, well, look, you know, we have two daughters. Um, it's, it's a tough place. 
you know, to raise kids. You don't have a yard. You got to go to a park. You know, you live on a busy street. You don't want them out riding their bikes. Uh, the 12 year old girls are wearing clothes that you don't want 12 year old girls <laughs> wearing. So the peer pressure for that is there. right. So, um, you know, we, we had always said, boy, it'd be neat to get back to the Midwest. And, and that was hypothetical to me. I always thought, oh yeah, hypothetically, but we're going to stay here because I love it here. So she came to me one day and she said, uh, I got approached by a college in Illinois to potentially look at a job there. And so I was like, ah, whatever, we'll never move. <laughs> so, uh, after several flights back and interviewing and everything else, they offered her the position. And then, uh, she said, we're moving to a place called Wheaton, Illinois for a school called Wheaton college, neither of which I had ever heard of. In my so life. you started doing some looking up and going, where are we going? I started doing a little research, but it happened so quickly, uh, cause they wanted to fill the position right away. So I didn't know much about what I was getting into until I drove, uh, I packed up our Toyota Prius with guitars that I didn't want on a moving truck and our two dogs and my wife and children flew to uh, move here. They brought clothes and stuff and I drove the Toyota Prius uh, cross country. And I remember, um, I think it's the 80 perhaps that you come in from Iowa on. Yeah. Interstate 80, interstate 80. Uh, and you know, I'm coming from LA, right? Where you've, mountains and the ocean and just, I mean, gorgeous, right? Palm trees. And you always have your windows down, right? Or your sunroof open and I'm driving in and all of a sudden it's just flat and cornfields. And I'm thinking right around just yeah. outside of Denver is where I think it starts it to make it really boring, a, extremely boring, really flat and not much going right. <laughs> not right. much going on. I chose that's a long drive. It's a long drive. I chose to do the majority of the drive from Denver to Iowa at night. So like through Nebraska because Good choice. I, didn't, I didn't want to see it. <laughs> I didn't want to I didn't want to know. What you don't yeah, what you don't see you don't know. That's right. Yeah. So uh yeah, so we we pulled in and we rented a house for our first year in Carroll Stream. It was the only house we could find that would take dogs. Uh and then we bought over here in uh in Glen Ellen. And so the first year we were here, I was connected at second city, uh, downtown Chicago. And I was doing some shows and doing a little coaching and, and meeting people. And I started meeting more and more people who were doing improvisation in the city, but were living out here. And I thought, I wonder if I, if I opened a theater, I wonder if anyone would come, you know? So I did. And they did. If you open it, if you build it, they will they come. Will come. They, and they come in droves. I don't, uh, yeah, it's surprising sometimes, you know. And so you do something that I never really thought of, and it's like a corporate-type training leveraging improv. And when you first told me that, I thought, wow, that's captivating. Hmm. That's interesting. How does that correlate? How does that apply? And just through the, the bouncing the tennis ball, I think I... I kind of in my mind connect the dots because it's creating that connection within. I mean, it's kind of developing a culture to a certain degree. Is it that, is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a few things about improv that kind of peel us back to our basic parts of humanity. One is that um, improv requires that there be no existence of ego. Um. And now you might think to yourself, that sounds weird because 
people who have come out of the improvisation world, the John Belushi's and Will Ferrell's and Chris Farley's guys with huge uh, personalities, they've got to have ego and they probably did. But when it came to performing, when it comes to improvisation, if I have ego, if I ego, oftentimes ego uh, comes with judgment, right? Mm -hmm. So judge each other, judge myself. I put up walls to protect me because I have ego. So improvisation requires that we support each other and that I actually, if you and I are doing an improv scene, I actually care more about you in the scene than I care about myself. Okay. Because I trust that you will respect the rule of improv and care about me in return. And because of that, now we've built trust and we have freedom to play. We become more creative. We become more connected um, and we can accomplish more. So when you take the concepts of improvisation, you bring them into an organization. Oftentimes when I, you know, talk to an organization, I'll say, where are the struggles? Well, we're, we don't communicate well. Um, everyone's in a silo. That's a big thing you hear now. We, we've got these silos, right? Because we email and we text and we leave voicemails and we don't interact as much, or we've got large parts of our team work remotely from home. And so we're not connected. Kind of like some large corporations, you'll see that they'll have cubicles Yep, and they all kind of sit in cubicles where I've been to Google in the city and it's all open forum. Mm-hmm. It's just, you, you know, you can go over to this area and sit on the beanbag or yeah. play ping pong and, mm-hmm. you know, do whatever it is that they do at Google. Type yeah. Thing. And what's so interesting when you talk about tech companies is, um, some of the biggest parts of the success of tech companies come from creative space and having creativity, having creative types, even in their engineering and everything with these people that have somewhat typically more type A personalities, they're looking for creative type people because that is how their organization will grow. It's forward thinking. It's like progressive, creative conceptualizing, right? So improvisation is the same. It's about developing that creativity and developing that type of thinking. So when I work with organizations, you know, the very first thing I do is I get them to connect, right? Make eye contact with each other, which is so lacking today in our society by bouncing the tennis ball. (laughs) I, you know, I made myself a commitment that I would never do that exercise and I never have. Oh, I use different types of exercise that have the same uh, of concept around it, but, um, only because it bored me so much. I thought I'm not going to put anyone through that. And plus there were a few people in there who were not very coordinated and I felt bad for them. So I don't want to pass it. You didn't want to pass judgment. I don't want to pass judgment because there's no judgment there. In it, right? right. So, um, so yeah, it was, it's, it was just taking, it's taking the principles of improvisation, which is, uh, about, about supporting one another, being positive, saying yes, connecting, and, and there's a really big one that I use here at Westside that's a little bit different. Most most people that I've learned improvisation from or that I've seen teach improvisation talk a lot about connecting. We want to connect with one another. Sure. I talk about it the same way, but but I dig a little deeper and I say relating. Because there's a difference between connecting and relating. Like we can sit down and have a conversation and connect and feel fine. But if we really relate to one another. Then I'm kind of in your shoes and you're in my shoes type thing. Yeah. It creates a level of empathy. 
Yeah. Right. And so God, if society would just be that way. Agreed. Agreed. Right. Yeah. That's why, uh, when I'm elected president, I will require everyone to take an improv class. And I'll vote for you. Thank you. <laughs> and that take might, a lot of the phones away from all the people. Cause it's yeah. like everybody gets, I mean, how often you go into a restaurant and these young kids are sitting across the table from each other and they're not even talking. They're right. lost in their phone. Right. Probably texting each other or Instagramming each other or, yeah. you know, what happened to the looking into each other's eyes yes. and talking and carrying on a conversation yeah. type thing? Doesn't happen anymore. My favorite thing to witness is the, is the date between who I always assume is the husband and wife, right? They've got the sitter and they're finally going out after like three or four weeks of just, you know, terrible times at home where it's like we never get to see each other and the husband is surfing the internet on his phone and the wife is looking around the room like is this what we've become like <laughs> this is not what i asked for it's not what i asked for <laughs> and um i think that technology is amazing i love it and i'm probably guilty of being on my phone you know as much as anyone else but what is really cool is when we when we stop that mm -hmm. when we pause that technology and we refocus our energy into another person. It's actually, um, it's a really kind of neat, exciting experience. And it brings you back to your childhood. Like, um, you know, I used to, we, I mean, people joke about this all the time. Like, you know, when I was a kid, punishment meant you couldn't play with your friends outside. You had to come in the house. Right. Right. And it was that play that motivated you as a kid. And just because we're adults and we have responsibilities and our own kids and a mortgage and everything else, we can't forget who we were made to be as people, which is people in community and play, right? Create creativity, creative play, engagement, um, and, you know, connecting and relating. So that's my focus when it comes to organizations. I'm like, Hey, let's bring your group together. Let's learn about being human with each other again, sure. first and foremost, and let's do it in a way that's fun and engaging. And cause they laugh, you know, and it's all the laughter, you know, it, it wipes away some of those concerns and, 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 uh, you know, some of the feelings that they're having about, um, you know, should I be doing this <laughs> improv? What? So, um, but, but it's engaging. So, so how many shows do you have in your theater through a particular week? Is it, regularly scheduled shows and it's how, what does it look like down there how does it how does it roll out yeah it's um every friday and saturday night we have an 8 p.m show and um we uh what we'll do is we'll have we always open our night with our student group for mm -hmm. they'll do eight to ten minutes kind of just get the night rolling uh and it's a it's a commitment i have to students where um as a former student in improv most improv theaters don't want the students anywhere near the stage, especially near their audience. And rightfully so, right? If you're learning, there's, there's an opportunity to really crash and burn in front of an audience, but that's where you learn and get better. And it's always, you learn through failure. You do, you know, you just got to get yourself up again and brush yourself off and keep moving ahead. Yeah. And, and, and take, take the struggles Right. And apply them and say, I'm not going to repeat that. Right. So right. we learn by our mistakes. Yeah, yeah totally. exactly. So when I created Westside, my commitment was to make sure that students performed. I, I always wanted to have space for them to perform because I felt like one, 
I'm honoring them as a student. Um, and two, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm focused on their growth and I'm giving them an opportunity to go up there. And if I say, I'll put my students in front of any audience, right. Then any audience member wants to be a student. Sure. So it's good marketing too. Now, do you have professional people that come in or are you big enough where you pull some professional folks in or, well, we have, um, our house teams. Uh, so once you've, you know, you've kind of experienced a lot and you've become a good player and I look for certain things in, in players, then what I'll do is I'll audition or put, assign them to a team okay. and our house teams, which right now I think we have, um, 16 different house teams. We may have a total of 65 performers in the theater. Wow. Um, and those all I would consider to be professionals and, and, you know, to some extent. So some of them are newer professionals and right. others are very seasoned, but those are the ones who my audience pays the money, pays money to come and see. Sure. Sure. So how does the word get out in the community about what you're doing? Well, that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, I don't advertise. I don't, um, I don't really do much to get my name out there. Um, it's just kind of word of mouth. Um, the very first show we had, uh, four and a half years ago now was completely sold out. Wow. And I turned people away, uh, at the door because we couldn't fit anymore. And, um, and now we, you know, we've had shows where 10 people have been there in the audience. So we've had shows where it's been a hundred. Right. And, um, it just depends on the night, but the, somehow the word gets out there. People know, and people come and, and, um, there's enjoy. not too many improv places out here in the Western suburbs. There's, there's three. And, um, and I think that uh, the other two are, are, you know, very great places to go see shows and, and take classes. And, um, and so you, but you only have three to choose from. And you think right. about all the people that live out here. Um, so, you know, that the biggest growth has been in shows where we, we sell out almost every show. Uh, I think right now we're on a streak of 15 of the last 17 have been sellouts, uh, which is good. We, I keep it running in my mind cause I, <laughs> I find it fascinating. Um, and then, uh, and then our, our classes always sell out immediately. I almost, um, and then I, I turn people away from classes. I say, well, you know, get on the wait list for next time. So, well, um, it's been captivating listening to your whole story. Yeah. And I always listen to other podcasts and there's an interesting question that I hear asked from time to time. And that would, that, that question is, what do you think is the most influential advice that you ever got from somebody? And I think I already know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway to see if maybe that answer comes, comes from you or not. I might be interested to hear the, what you think the answer would be first. <laughs> <laughs> That you're a funny guy, you should look into. <laughs> no, but that that's a good second. Um, the biggest piece of advice um, that I had uh, was probably from my grandfather, who said, um, "Invest in people," um, because I think that um, I don't I don't care so much about the business structure of what I'm doing. I I enjoy paying my bills, right? Who doesn't? I would love to grow. But what gives me satisfaction is seeing this community at work, which is 
a few hundred people now, very committed, either students, performers, people who are doing some work here, teachers. Um, and I want to invest in those people. Each and every person who comes in here is important to me. And the saddest part of this journey has been watching the growth happen and having less of myself to share or less of my time to give. Right. Um, I lose track of people and I care about them, but you know, my grandfather said, he said, you've got to invest in people no matter what you do as a profession, no matter where you go, um, care and invest. And, and that is what I found in improv from a creative, uh, you know, tool. And that's how I treat the business. So, cause if you give, it'll come back tenfold, it'll come back tenfold. But the neat thing that, that I think through the process of what he taught me was don't worry about if it comes back or not. You just keep investing. Right. And so there are times when I might feel that a little down and go, Hey, what about me? Right. Cause we're all human. We all think about ourselves at some point. We have to. Yeah. But at the end of the day, uh, it's about the people who walk in to the store, whether they're paying to see a show or they're a student or they're a performer. Uh, I want to invest in, in them and their life. So that's the, that's the best advice I got. And then you're funny. You should try this. Comedy. Right. Yeah. They work hand in hand. They do. Yeah. And you, it's obvious that you love what it is that you're doing. I do. So that's awesome. Yeah. Not too many people have that luxury. No, that's true. You I'm know, very lucky. A yeah. lot of people find themselves in that corporate finance job and don't know how to <laughs> punch their way out of the bag from that or yeah. know that they have other options or too afraid to try and explore other that options. Sounds miserable. Yeah. Huh. Fear is Glad so. That's not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate you. your time. I know that we're coming to the end. So a great visit with, uh, with Jeff and, um, yeah, real heartwarming to be able to find somebody out there. And I know that there's a lot of folks out there that, you know, you do what you love. You love what you do. And that's what we all kind of aspire to be able to find in our lives is I hate to have to get up on that Monday morning and despise having to go to work. I much prefer being able to just spring out of bed, look forward to the day, and can't wait to uh, attack it. So, yeah, thank you, Jeff. And he, again, is the owner-proprietor of Westside Improv, and that's located downtown Wheaton, right across the street from the train tracks on Front Street. They do have regular shows that you can come in and, and observe and, and enjoy. There is a different, uh, I, I don't know what the door, door pass amount is, but he's always got good stuff going on. So thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you're able to listen to our future episodes coming up. We try and put them out each week. And you can find us on all your podcast hosting sites. That would be iTunes, Google Play. Um, don't have the list in front of me. So, yeah, just look look us up. It is the Ty, T-Y, dash, Bo, B-O, show. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.